All right. Well, for the rest of us, we are still in the book of Acts, how the church is born, the Acts of the Apostles, the start of God's uh, mission to reach the world through his 12 disciples and through the ones that have come to believe in Jesus through them. We have made it all the way to the very end of Acts 18, starting Acts 19. And what we're going to focus on today is the sufficiency of Scripture, the the sufficiency of God's Word. We know what that word sufficient means, right? That it means that um, we have what we need to get the job done. Not about a year ago, Fort Hill Community Church was in a position where we did not have sufficiency in what we needed to get done. Just as a little intro story here, last last year um, our church was in the Gora Memorial Day Parade, which unfortunately is not going to happen this year. Um, right about a year now, Memorial Day is just is just coming up. Coincidentally, it's the day that I cut my thumb and got three stitches, but that's another story for another time. Anyway, so uh, Fort Hill Community Church was in the Memorial Day Parade. Um, We were actually the last people lined up in the parade. And what we were going to do, we were getting ready for our um, Sunday morning gathering, which was at the Old Roby School. So we're actually coming up on a year being in the Old Roby School. Anyway, so what we did um, for the parade, we're going to walk through. We had a banner, all that good stuff. If you, you know, some of you there, I believe most of you weren't. We, uh, what, what I did is I went and got these little invite cards uh, made up. They looked nice, and we cut a couple holes in each card to put a little sucker in there. And we were going to pass out the cards to invite people. It was a great opportunity just to kind of love on the community and invite them because the whole town of Gorham comes to to the Memorial Day parade. And so, you know, I'm I'm bought like, I don't know, 300, 400 something invites and I'm like, surely this is enough, right? And so we're going through and we run out of invites probably less than halfway through the parade. Maybe like a third of the way through the parade. We don't have any more invites. We're the last people. There's fire trucks behind us. We are just lagging behind the rest of the parade because we're trying to hand stuff out. And we run out halfway through. And the next half of the parade, two-thirds of the parade, we're just walking through waving at people like like doofuses, you know. <laughs> and we're not, you know, because there are other people that didn't pass anything out. But we did not have a sufficient supply of the invites that we needed to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, which was to invite everyone at the parade to our event, to our Sunday morning gathering. That that supply was not sufficient, was not sufficient. That was a good lesson to learn, and I definitely would not have repeated that mistake this year had we been able to walk in the parade. Today, we are going to look at something that we have that is sufficient, Something that has never failed. And that is the Word of God. Even though we as a church did not have a sufficient supply of invites, we definitely had a sufficient word. We definitely had a sufficient message. We definitely had a sufficient Bible. As we're continuing in the book of Acts, in this these missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, we're going to see the sufficiency of Scripture to do three things. And that's three things that start with an E because I'm creative that way. We're going to see the, the sufficiency of Scripture to equip, the sufficiency of Scripture to expose, and the sufficiency of Scripture to evangelize. 
We have an all-sufficient word that is able to accomplish things that we on our own cannot accomplish. And we're going to see that today to equip, to expose, to evangelize. And so if you want to turn to your Bibles, we're also going to have the, um, these slides here with the Scripture. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18, verses 23. And we're going to go all the way to uh, Acts 19, verse 10. We're going to see today the sufficiency of Scripture in these areas. And so starting in Acts chapter 18, we're actually going to start in verse 22. And we're going to continue. I'm just going to read this for us, then we'll dive in. This is what it says. When Paul had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then went down to Antioch after spending some time there. He departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. He said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the water of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So in our section, we see really two stories. We see the story of Apollos and this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and then we see the story of Paul with these twelve disciples. Where we're at in the timeline of Acts, last week we saw Paul in the city of Corinth. Large city, sinful city. He was uh, really uh, dejected down, and he was encouraged by the Lord to continue to speak. He gets down in Corinth, and at the very beginning we saw a lot of traveling. It says that he left Corinth and went down to Jerusalem across the Mediterranean Sea. It's a really big, you know, big, uh, big journey there. He goes to Jerusalem, then he goes up to Antioch. And now where we're at is the start of a new missionary journey. It's going to be Paul's last missionary journey in the book of Acts, his third and final missionary journey. All of the events that we see today happen in this city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a big city. Ephesus has a temple there 
to, and we're going to lean, kind of focus more on this last, uh, next next week. But Ephesus has a temple there to Artemis. It is, um, you know, a, a very a, a Greek city, pagan city. But all of the events that we have today happen in this city of Ephesus. And the first thing that we see doesn't have to do with the Apostle Paul. The first thing that we see is this conversation between this man, Apollos, and these two people, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And what we're going to see from their exchange is that they use the word, Aquila and Priscilla use the word to equip Apollos. And the principle here is that the word is sufficient to equip the saved. To equip the saved. The word is sufficient to equip the saved. So right here, we see this man, Apollos. We've never met Apollos before. Um, Apollos is sort of a mysterious guy in the Bible. If I were to ask you, you know, who is Apollos, a lot of you might not even have known who this guy Apollos is. But he actually plays a really, really important role in the Bible. This man, Apollos, is a Jew. He's from the city of Alexandria. That is in Egypt. So he's not from Ephesus. If you want to think on a map, Mediterranean Sea is like right here. Ephesus is like right here in Turkey. And then he's all the way in Egypt, like way down here in from Alexandria. And he has come all the way up to Ephesus to preach the gospel to powerfully refute, it says, the Jews, and point to Jesus from the Old Testament. That's what we see. He is a smart man. He is an eloquent man. And it even says that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is just a little the section on him. See, it says he is an eloquent, competent in the Scriptures. It says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So whenever we kind of look at Apollos, he has really everything that we would want in someone who is given the gospel to speak it, to you know persuade people to believe in Jesus. He kind of has it all, right? He's from Alexandria, this you know academic capital really of the world. There's a world-famous library in Alexandria. Uh, you can look it up. Um, he, he knew the Old Testament. He was charismatic. He was persuasive. Some people have the knowledge, but they can't really articulate it that well. That was not Apollos. He had it all together. He had it all figured out, but there was just one problem, and it's really interesting, really strange, and it's buried here. It says, he was fervent in spirit, and he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he, he was speaking of Christ, but there was a gap in his knowledge. He didn't know, it seems, what had happened with Christ. He didn't know the baptism of Jesus. He only knew the baptism of John. Well, what is that? Well, let me go here. If you remember John the Baptist, he was the precursor to Jesus, right? He was the cousin of Christ, and he came to prepare a way for Jesus, It says that he was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And his job was to call people to repentance. And if you think about it, Jesus came to save the lost. God sent John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, to call people out from their sins. He called them to repent. He called them to recognize the issues John the Baptist did in their life, their sins, And now these people are ready for a Savior, right? That's what John the Baptist did. 
And so whenever we think about John the Baptist, he had a different ministry than Jesus. He had a different focus. He accomplished a different task. He had a different baptism. And he says as much. This is what John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist came to point people to Jesus. That was really it. He came to get people ready. He came to say, there's someone coming who's greater, who's better than I. I have a baptism of water. I'm here to kind of get you thinking about these things. But whenever Jesus comes, it says he has a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, let, let's take that. Let's just think about that. John's baptism, one of preparation. Jesus' baptism, one of fulfillment. Okay, Jesus fulfilled all these things. Two different things. We go back to Apollos. He didn't know about Jesus. I mean, he knew about Jesus. It's really kind of strange. He's saved. He says he has the Holy Spirit on him. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know about the, the, the fulfillment that Christ has already accomplished. It says he only knows the baptism of John. He only knows that people need to, to prepare themselves for the Messiah. And he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. But he doesn't know everything that's happened. Whenever I think about Apollos, it's like someone who's stuck in, in the Gospels. Apollos is like Peter before the cross. Apollos is like Peter before the, the resurrection. He's like Peter before Pentecost. He's a guy that believes that Jesus is the Messiah, but hasn't seen these things happen yet. There's a massive gap in his knowledge. He doesn't understand yet the baptism of Jesus. Jesus himself, right before, right in the beginning of the book of Acts, right before he's ascended into heaven, this is what he says to the disciples. He says, And while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And this is what he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There was a decisive shift whenever Jesus left this earth and the Holy Spirit came into the earth onto the believers, onto Christ's followers, there was a decisive shift from the baptism of John to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what happened. Acts 1.8, Jesus says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then we see Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on the church. Then the church begins preaching the gospel with earnest. Paulus does not know that. And it's really kind of head-scratching that someone who it says could speak so powerfully the things of Jesus, who could boldly proclaim these things in the synagogue about Christ, would not know everything that Jesus had accomplished at that point and would not know that the Holy Spirit is here empowering the church to preach the gospel. He had all the promises known, and believed that they would happen, but he didn't know the fulfillment. He had a gap in his knowledge, a very significant gap. And this is where the Word of God comes in. 
That's what it says. It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila, this is a married couple that Paul met last chapter, whenever they heard him, it says, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. The word of God is sufficient to equip the saved. This, this man, Apollos, is everything you would want in a speaker, in a preacher, in a minister, in a debater, in a, a, a persuasive type of, 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 of approach to ministry, to persuade people. But he had a massive gap in knowledge. But the Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God is sufficient to equip us to continue to speak the Word. And that's what God did through Priscilla and Aquila. You know the expression, you don't know what you don't know. Well, there was a lot that Apollos didn't know. And what he needed were faithful ministers of the word, Priscilla and Aquila, to correct him. And what we see after they did that, he goes on and he begins preaching the gospel in Corinth. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this, says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What Apollo, Apollos lacked, he could only get through Scripture. He needed the Bible to equip him with the knowledge and the understanding he needed to effectively minister the gospel. He needed the word to equip him. And that word equip is an important word. I want to go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible is given to us to produce something out of us. This is what it says. Scripture is breathed out by God. That word breath is the same word for spirit. So Scripture is God-breathed. It comes out by God. And it's profitable. It's used to teach to reproof, to that's like correct or a little more sternly correct, for correction and for training in righteousness. That's what the word does. It, it teaches, corrects, trains, reproves. For what purpose? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God has given us his word to bring things out of us. Okay? God has given us his word not that it can be entertaining, Not that it can be sort of light reading material. Not that it can be interesting. But that it can change us. That it can change us. That it can equip us for the work that it is calling us to do. That is what happened with Apollos. He had a gap in knowledge. He did not understand the most important aspect of John's ministry, which was to point to Jesus, and Jesus pointing to the Holy Spirit, which is the power for us to do the things we're doing, a power that Apollos actually already experienced without even realizing it. He had that gap. He needed the Word of God to fill the gap, to equip him with the things he needed to do to continue to be faithful to God. Do you see the action of Scripture? What I'm telling you right now, we are people that just don't read anymore, just in general. 
And if we read, it's things that aren't profitable, that don't really do anything. What I'm telling you is there is a divine action, a divine working that God accomplishes on our hearts whenever we read the Bible that impacts us in such a way that we don't shape the text, but the text shapes us. That whenever we read the Bible, we don't master the text, but the text masters us. And that God pulls out from us the things that He has called us to do. That the Word corrects, trains, teaches, forms, and equips us to do the things that He has called us to do. If you've read Psalm chapter 1, beautiful Psalm, it says, blessed is the man who meditates in the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who knows the scriptures. He is like a tree planted by a stream. His flower does not fade. The weather comes. He is not changed. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Someone who, who is rooted in God's word is like a plant by a stream. And whenever the days get dry, Whenever the heat comes, we have the nourishment of the Word to equip us, to fill us up, to train us. There's something magical that happens. Apollos was completed by the Word for fruitful ministry. And then if, if that's the case, if, if, if the ministry of the Word is what equips Apollos to continue doing the things that he's doing, what of us? What is the fruit of our lives? Can we point to things? Are we, is, is the, the fruit of the word coming out of our hearts? I, I often wonder and, and think about the church and think about the, the state of the church, especially as I'm reading the book of Acts. And I hope that maybe you have too. That you'll look at this book and you'll ask yourself, why don't these things happen today? Not not even the miraculous stuff. I mean, that, that could happen. That is what it is. I think that has a place, especially for the start of the church. But just the mass conversion we see. And not only the mass conversion, but the, the, the impetus and the power and the desperation on the part of the ministers of God's Word, on the part of Paul and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila traveling across the world to preach the gospel. Why don't we see that? I mean, we have missionaries, but I mean like here. I mean like in Gorham, right? In Scarborough, in Fowler, like in Maine. Just a people just, just on, on fire for the Lord, just equipped for that work, spirit-filled, ready to go and do it. Why don't we see that? And I think the reason we don't see it is that we don't, we don't know the Word. <laughs> or maybe it's not that we don't know it, but we're not, we're not in it. We're not mastered by it. We're not dominated by it. Because it's, it's not an insufficiency on the Word's part. The Word is sufficient to equip us for the work that God has called us to do. If you are lacking, whatever you're lacking in, the Word is sufficient to fill that, that gap. Because God is sufficient. This is the Word of God. He changes us with it. And I wonder why we don't see all that we see in the book of Acts why well, we don't see it today and I think it's because the work of the word in our hearts we we kind of just go on to different things and I'm the first offender here 
the ministry of the word is slow and steady. My uh, my brother recently got a um, a smoker, a grill smoker, and he's been giving, sending us all these pictures, right, of him smoking and smoking meat and all that. And the key to smoking barbecue, um, you know, brisket, ribs, whatever, is two words, low and slow, low and slow, low heat over a long period of time. And then after 10 hours, 12 hours, you have the most amazing food you've ever had in the world. I think that that also applies to the Word of God. What do I mean by that? A lot of us look for aha, Jesus, come to Jesus moments. Okay, but change is a process, and being equipped and being formed in the image of Jesus is a process. And if we keep our eyes and our nose low into the Word, our our, our faces in the Word, over an extended period of time, God will change us. God will equip us if we truly treat the Word of God like bread, where Jesus says, "Man shall not live." bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, we will see what we see in Acts. Because the word of God is sufficient to equip us to do the word that God has called us to do. That's what we see. That's what we see with Apollos. The second thing we see is that there were faithful ministers alongside Apollos to actually equip him. The word is sufficient to equip, but God uses his people to equip each other. Aquila and Priscilla, they saw him. They were like, okay, he's, things he's saying, they're, they're right, they're good, but th- there's a gap here. There's something that's not quite adding up. And instead of shouting him off the stage or leaving a comment that this is wrong or this is off, what does it say? It says that they pulled him aside. They pulled Apollos aside and more accurately... Explain the things of God to him. They weren't cavalier in their attitude. They weren't superior to him. No, they pulled him aside and said, Apollos, you're awesome, but you're missing something. That's what we need. This is the church discipling each other. This is the church looking out for each other. This is the church saying, okay, we value and trust the word of God so much that whenever we see a deficiency in someone else, we're going to bring that up and show you in the word that maybe you got some things wrong here. We need that. The truth is we are all works in progress. And what I'm saying that the work is going to get done if we are in the word. So let me encourage you. Find a time. If you are not if you are not in the Bible daily, find a time. I know it's hard. I'm there with you. I got little kids, hard for for Hannah too. It is not easy. Find the time. Because you cannot be the person God has called you to be without His Word. It's impossible. It's not going to happen without the Word of God in your life daily. We need it every single day. And so parents, have a discussion. Have a discussion. Say, all right, and I, I need to do this with Hannah. Um, what can we do to get you in the Bible more? Right? Or then Hannah with me. What what can I do to get you in the Word more? What What's a time in the day in our schedule that we can commit to getting into the Word more? I am so concerned, church, that we are not going to be able to do the Word that God has called us to do without the Word of God being that low, slow, persistent, 
constant presence in our lives to produce out of us the beautiful things that God wants to produce, to equip us with what we need. The Word is sufficient to do that. We just have to get in it. So let me encourage you today to do that. Let me encourage you today to find that time to be in it. For those who maybe have never read the Bible before, that's fine. That, that's, that's great. Now's the time to start. Read about Jesus. Start in the book of Matthew. Then read Mark. Then read John. Then read Luke. But we got to be in the Word because it is sufficient to equip us for the work at hand. So as we're continuing, we, we saw Apollos. We saw the Word change Apollos. Now as we continue, we're going to need an we're going to meet another group who's also going to sort of come head on head on with the word and be changed for it. Another group that looks like you know they think they got it figured out but they don't quite have it figured out. And what we're going to see in this next point is that the word not only is it sufficient to equip the saved, but the word the Bible is also sufficient to expose the religiously unsaved or the religiously unregenerate. These are lost people that are church members. That's, that's what it is. The Word of God is sufficient to expose the religiously unsaved. This is what it says, Acts 19, verse 1. Now we're transitioning to Paul and his interaction with these 12 men. And it says, And it, uh, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, so we're still in the city of Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. These twelve men also, just like Apollos, have a limited understanding of Jesus. It's really strange. Apollos only knew of John's baptism, these 12 men only knew of John's baptism. They're both in the city of Ephesus. I don't know if that's something unique to Ephesus. I don't know what's going on. But in both situations, they knew the promise, but they didn't know the fulfillment. They knew the call to repentance. They knew that he was preparing a way. They didn't know that Jesus had already accomplished everything. They have a, a limited and incomplete knowledge of Christ. But one thing, is one important difference exists with these 12 men versus Apollos. In Acts 18, it says that Apollos was full of the Spirit, fervent in spirit. Apollos was filled with the Holy Spirit to do the things that he was doing. Even though he didn't quite get everything, he did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He proved that, and he, I believe Apollos was truly saved. These guys have no mark of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. In fact, it says that they didn't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, this is even more concerning, one, because the, Holy, the Old Testament speaks of the Holy Spirit at creation. It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I mean, the Holy, the Holy Spirit's in the Old Testament. Two, John the Baptist, the guy that these guys are following, he spoke of the Holy Spirit. We already read that, that verse in Matthew 11, where John said, I baptize with water, but he who is coming to me is greater than I am, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Apollos has the marks of the Holy Spirit on him. These guys do not have the mark of the Holy Spirit on them. In this sense, they are stuck in the Old Testament. John being sort of the last Old Testament prophet, hearing about John's baptism, but not, not even knowing what it actually really means. 
These people, we could call them religiously unsaved. And that's a very scary thing. People that have a religious experience, background, aura, I guess, you want to use that word, um, but do not truly know or have not truly experienced the change that comes from true knowledge of Christ. They don't know because they don't bear the marks of the Holy Spirit on them. And so Paul says to them, you can you know the baptism of John. John baptized with the baptism of repentance. So John was calling to repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. John called you to repentance and he pointed to Jesus, but you don't know the Holy Spirit yet. You do not know who Christ truly is. That's what he's saying. You do not know who Christ truly is. And this is quite a, a conundrum. I, I think the way we should think about them is exactly what it says in Romans 8 9. It says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Does not belong to to him. These people then are spiritually unsaved. And what we see here is that the word of God is sufficient to expose their religious unbelief. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 3.5. It says, Some people have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. Some people have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. If you are truly godly, if you have truly known Jesus, if you have truly been saved and received the Holy Spirit, there is a power that comes upon you. There is a change that happens. You bear the marks of one who has been saved. You bear the marks of the Holy Spirit. The power here is the change that comes from knowing Christ says, you look godly, you do all the stuff on the outside, but you've denied the power on the inside, right? This was the issue of the Pharisees that Jesus sparred with all the time. They look good, says on the outside, they were whitewashed tombs, that's what Jesus said. So they looked on the outside, inside they were dead. They had dead men's bones. You can put on all the religion that you want, all the spirituality you want, you can do and say all the things you want. And this doesn't mean just coming to church on Sunday. This is any quasi-religion or, or spiritual anything, right? It doesn't have to be Christianity. It can be, you know, Mother Universe or, or whatever. You, you can go that direction if you want. But true salvation, true marks of the Holy Spirit looks like something. And it looks like the Bible says it is. And that's why the Bible is sufficient to expose people that do not truly believe, though they seem to have some type of religion about them. And so this is why Paul is asking these guys these questions. He's saying, where were you baptized? Have you heard of the Holy Spirit? What's going on here? Because he sees that something is wrong here. This group of men, these religiously unsaved, are particularly pertinent to us today, I would say. Because we have a whole host of people that have the vernacular of religion, the lingo of religion. Maybe religion's the wrong word. Maybe it's spirituality. Some, some type of divine 
presence, vocabulary, squishness type thing, right? But they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have true salvation. The Word of God exposes that unbelief. The Word of God is sufficient if we know it, where we can pick out and say, okay, where is this person? They're saying things, and they're doing things, but where are they actually? I'm going to get real here. I see this more often than not at funerals, right? Because you don't want to say anything bad at a funeral. You definitely don't want to suggest someone's going to hell at a funeral. And I know that's a little bit jarring, but I'm just being real. We try to pray people into heaven at a funeral. People that have have never in their lifetime shown any love of God, any any devotion to Jesus, any any love of the gospel, any burden for the lost, any marks of the Holy Spirit, right? This is what the old this is what the Bible says true belief, true salvation, true heaven bound people look like. And so if we take that word and apply it to this world and apply it to ourselves, there is a discrepancy here. It, I mean, we don't, obviously, I can't look at someone's heart. It doesn't have saved and blazing across the heart. It's not how it works. But we have the Word of God, and it is sufficient to expose false belief. It is sufficient to expose false belief. Why do you think Paul questions the way he does? He's trying to get, he's like, where are you people? This is why it says, Hebrews 4, verse 12 to 13, the word of God is living and active. Okay? It's not old and dusty, but it's used. Just as it comes to us who believe in Jesus and pulls something out of us and shapes us, The Word of God is living and active. It also breaks us, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, the the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God is able to look into the dark spaces and bring light. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. It is able. So we take the Word, we understand the truth of God, we bring it to this person, and this person says these things and does these things, and we have to figure out, okay, where are you based on Scripture? And what it says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Don't you see? The Word of God is sufficient to expose unbelief, even religious unbelief. I'm just going to read that last verse again. No creature is hidden from his sight. God sees all people. We are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Whenever you're naked, right, if, if bear with me here. You can wear clothes that make you look better than you actually look, right? Whenever you're naked, there's no hiding anything, right? It's all there. And in the same way, we come to God on that day of judgment, and he judges us by his word. By his word. And what we see is that none of us is able to stand by the word. We are all exposed, okay? 
all of us, all of us are exposed. I remember in college, you know, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I knew Jesus, right? I get to college, and I'm part of this freshman year. I'm part of this Christian group, and we're in this little prayer thing. And, and these people, these guys are praying, right? And they're they're asking God for just big things, and they're just like really going at it, right? And I remember thinking, these guys are weird. <laughs> they're just really into this. You know, you just say, you know, dear God, thank you for a great day. You know, see you next time. These guys are really into it, right? And and it was at that point, that was just like the first inkling, that my heart was getting exposed, that maybe this God that I thought I knew, I didn't really know that well. Maybe this God that I thought that I that I I was saved, I was a pastor, I got this all figured out. Maybe I didn't actually know him the the way I thought. And as I'm reading the Bible, I'm exposed. I think I'm here. I'm actually like way down here, right? That's what the word of God does. It shows us what true belief is, what true belief looks like, what the true fruit of salvation is. It shows us what the marks of the Holy Spirit are on our life and that we can claim the name of Jesus, but you can't fake the Holy Spirit. Okay? You can claim belief. You can't fake the Holy Spirit. To be a true follower of Jesus means certain attitudes, certain ideas, certain actions, certain worldviews are antithetical to the Christian message and we cannot have. We cannot have certain things, certain actions. As a follower of Jesus, you're just not going to do. You're not going to do it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And this is where... This is, that word deceived is it. That, that we think we, we can do our own thing and claim the name. We think we can do our own thing and claim the name. He's saying, do not be deceived. You can't do that. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived here. If you are lost in this, you don't know Jesus. You can claim it. You can say it. You don't know Him. The Word of God exposes us. But there's good news. There's good news. Because if you keep going on, it says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. Amen. You were that, but now you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You have gone from darkness into light. You have gone from death to life. The Word of God has exposed you. And here's the beauty of it. Once you realize you have been exposed, you will trust Jesus. Once you realize that you do not know what the heck is going on, 
once you realize that Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and that really matters to you, then you'll have the marks of the Holy Spirit on you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. What this means for Christians, for true followers of Jesus who understand God's Word, for people who have, we are all exposed, right? For people who have been exposed and have come to truly believe in Jesus, we are not about the mantras of the world. We are not about the mantras of self-empowerment, self-actualization, inner truth, right? My truth, me as a center of the universe, I'm going to be about me and you be about you. These are not Christian biblical statements or worldviews. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, whoever would be first would be last. Jesus says that we should count the needs of others as more important than the needs of ourselves. Paul actually said that. So whenever you get exposed and realize these things, it's at that point you're going to say, God, save me. And there's good news. He can do it. But you've got to get uncomfortable first. And your, 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 your soul has to bear the marks of the Holy Spirit. Has to bear the marks of the Holy Spirit. And so we need this word to expose us and feel the pressure of the word on us and be broken and believe the good news that on the other side of that is salvation. And all these things that you were, doesn't matter. All these things that you did, doesn't matter. All these things in the past, does not matter. Such were some of you. But you were sanctified, you were justified, you were washed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That is the good news. I just don't want you to think that you believe it whenever you don't. Jesus has come to show us a better way. The gospel, the message, the word is sufficient to expose our wrong thinking and lead us to a better way. It's such, it's a hard message, and you have that on the front end, but it gets sweet on the back end, and the sweetness is Jesus, and we've got to have both. So we see the sufficiency of the word to equip the saved to do the work God has called us to do. And then we see the harder one, the sufficiency of the word to expose the, the religiously unsaved or the falsely converted. And that's exactly what we see. It says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began to speak in tongues, prophesying, and they were about 12 men in all. Paul used this word to, to expose the gap. And he did it in such a way to lead them. And, and this is a balance that I think. There's, there's grace and truth. The truth of God is hard on us, but there's always grace there. And so we as ministers of the gospel and the word have to strike the balance. And this is um, just a, a quick little word that Paul gives about striking the balance. He says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
we have to bring the word. We have to believe in it enough to, to believe that this person's off. They need this word. I'm going to bring it to them. You need to correct them. You need to teach, but you also need to be patient. And you also need to do it with gentleness. Believing that if we approach it that way, if we bring the grace and the truth, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's a balance. And that's what we see with Paul. He brought it. He said, okay, you guys are off. Here it is. You're exposed. They believe. Now it is our term. Scripture is sufficient to do these things. Amen. Now the last point we're going to see on the sufficiency of Scripture. Finally, Scripture, the Word, is sufficient finally to reach the lost. And there's a, a, a trajectory here. Okay, you, you have the saved. The Scriptures work on the saved, which is Apollos. You have Scripture's work on, or the Word's work on the falsely saved, so kind of halfway between. And then you have Scripture's work on the full-out lost, people that would not even claim salvation. We see how the Word works on all of these people. And finally, we see it how Scripture is sufficient to evangelize the lost. So Paul, after this scenario with the twelve disciples, um, he says, He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So now we see just the full-on evangelism of the word. Paul using the word of God to evangelize. And he evangelizes everyone. He's in the synagogue first, which is how he typically got, does. He goes to the Jews, because he has sort of a standing there, being a Jew himself. He gets kicked out after three months. If you know Paul's track record, three months is actually pretty good. He typically gets kicked out earlier than that. And then he goes to the Greeks. He goes to the lecture halls, the hall of Tyrannus. The first thing that we're going to see here, as, as we finish up our message, on the sufficiency of the word... This, the word is sufficient to reach the lost because we can use it to reason and persuade. That was Paul's approach. He did not yell. He did not scream. He did not demand. He did not beat people. No, it says he was in the synagogue reasoning and persuading, giving an argument, uh, answering objections. That is how he went about. That is the sufficiency of Scripture that you can argue from it and, and address any concerns people might have from the Scriptures. This is not new. Last chapter, whenever he, he gets to Athens, it says, Paul went in, in Athens, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days it says he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So this was in Athens he's reasoning from the Scriptures. In Corinth, the last city he was in, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned with the word. Paul's entire approach to preaching Christ was centered on a reasoned and persuasive arguments that Jesus was Messiah. We as a church, and more broadly, 
as a people, have lost what I consider one of the most important skills of living, just, just being a human being. And that is the ability to think critically. That is the ability to think with our minds, given this information before us. It's so easy to believe what people tell you. It's so easy to not go back and check the things that people have said. It's so easy just to watch TV or social media or whatever and not actually think about what is going on here. To consider the evidence, the logic, the pros and cons, and either accept this position on the merits of its own plausibility or reject it because you think it's just a whole, whole bunch of made-up junk. Okay, Reasoned discourse is very rare in our society, it seems like. And we kind of draw battle lines. And I rated a fight. This is what happens with Paul. But he does not fight. He does not do ad hominem attacks, which is just yelling at people because they're terrible, right? No, he reasons the scriptures. He persuades the scriptures. What I'm saying is, is this sufficient for that? I, I believe Christians can't have a bad name with people that do beat others over the head, right? If if you call people to repent and 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 call people sinners, right? Which is what they are, which is what we need to do, right? But if you just yell that out, you're probably not going to get a lot of response. But if you reason with people and go to the Word and, and try to lay it out and ask questions and engage and see where people are at and try to build bridges to where they, they are, we may be able to win some people. And what I'm saying is the Word of God is sufficient to do these things. We have the tool that we need. It's the Word of God. Our responsibility then is to lay this Word out clearly, persuasively, to reach the lost. Not to change the Word, but to lay it out. Not to twist the Word, but to show it. Not to mess with the Word, but to shine a light on it. And I'll stress this final word, to reach the lost. Not save the lost. We do not save the lost. We reach them through the Word. It's not up to us to save. It's up to us. It's up to God to save, but it is up to us to reach them. So Paul here, he is persuasive. He reasons the Word, and finally, he is persistent. He says, This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the Word of God, both Jews and Greeks. What would it look like for all the residents of Gorham to hear the Word of God? What would it look like for all the residents of Scarborough, for all the residents of Portland, of Westbrook, of Falmouth? What would it look like for our town's names to be where the word Asia is here? This continued for two years, so all the residents of Gorham heard the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul spends more time in Ephesus than any other city so that people can hear it. And I wonder, what does that mean for us? Are we even persuading with the Word? And and this is just me as a pastor thinking for myself as far as what do we need to do? What do I need to do? How do I need to lead us to do this? So that we can see that this happens because we do have a Word that is sufficient it is able to do the things that God has given us to do. It first starts on us. The Word is sufficient to equip us for the work that God has called us to do. Second, 
for the confused, for the blind. The word is sufficient to expose the lost that they truly don't know Christ. And, and it works on us too that actually know Jesus to expose our own sins so that we would repent and come to God. And finally, the word is sufficient, sufficient to reach the lost in our towns and communities, provided that we argue it and reason with it and persuade with it persistently. And so for all of us, we need to remember what this word is. This word is the hardest word, but the best word. The most profound word, yet the simplest word. It is the word of the gospel. It is the word of Jesus. It is the word that says that you're going to try to figure your life out. You're going to try to pull the pieces together. You're going to try to make yourself a better person. And it's not going to be enough. Because at the very root of it all, you cannot do that. But there's good news. There's someone else who can. And there's someone else who already has. And that someone else is Jesus Christ. The bad news that you are lost in your sin, that you are destined for hell. The good news that Jesus has died on the cross, risen from the grave. He has accomplished a salvation for you that you could not accomplish on your own. And that you are called to turn from your sins, turn from your old way of life, place your faith in his name, trusting that he truly is the son of God, that he truly can save you, that the old things of the past are gone, that new has come. That is the gospel message, and that is the word that comes in and changes and rearranges and sins. That is the word that we preach. And so I, today, if you don't know that word, I'm going to call you to respond to that word. I'm going to call you to think on that word. Do you know who Jesus is? And do you know the good news that he brings? For you that maybe have fooled yourself, maybe you think you know, but you actually have no idea. That's this, you're in the same boat. You're in the exact same boat. Have you truly believed? Do you, does your heart bear the marks of Christ? A changed heart, a remade heart, the marks of the Holy Spirit. And then for us who, who do know and believe in this Jesus, are you being equipped to do the work? Are you in his word to do the work that he has called you to do? Let's commit ourselves anew to the Lord right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that God would take this word that we believe is enough and work it in our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, your word is enough. It just is. There's really no way around it. And it doesn't matter if we believe it or not. We, our belief in your word doesn't make it any more or less sufficient. It is sufficient. You have sent it down. It accomplishes the purpose for which you have sent it. That's just the truth. Lord, accomplish it in our hearts. May we experience what is already true. May we be equipped. May we be sent. May we be with you, Lord, low and slow, like like barbecue, Lord, with you consistently to be prepared for the work at hand. Expose our sin. Expose our unbelief. Reach the lost. Do it through us. Lord, I pray over your word. I pray over the word that has been preached that you would implant it in our hearts like a seed. Plant it down deep. Call us, Lord. Bring the lost to life. 
Lord, I love you and I thank you and I praise you. You are good and great in all that you do and all that you say in every way. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.